As we prepare today to read the scripture, if you are without a Bible today, please raise your hand and one will be brought to you. And if you do not own a Bible, please take this as a gift from Sojourn. Today I will be reading from Psalm chapter 88. Please stand as I read. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Are your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Praise the Lord for his word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, Thank you for that introduction, Ed. It's a a real pleasure to be with you and open up God's Word. So please keep Psalm 88 open before you as we'll be looking at it and referring to it throughout. Uh, Now, it's uh, it's interesting how we sing different songs based on how we're feeling, isn't it? So I don't know about you, but I... When, I, when I'm driving on a hot summer's day, kind of like today, I love to boogie along to a bit of the Beach Boys. Or, you know, if I'm feeling Christmassy, I can guarantee that Sleigh Bells by Ella Fitzgerald is going to get some airtime. Uh, or let's just say that I'm in my happy place and everything is right with the world, then I might even sing along to some Disney. Scrap that, I will be singing along to Disney. Because how we feel often dictates the songs that we sing, doesn't it? So when things are going, going well, we sing songs that resonate with our high spirits. Likewise, when things aren't going so well, we may sing a different tune. But what about those times when life isn't just hard, but it's horrendous? What about those times when you're on the brink of utter despair? When your soul is overwhelmed with troubles. When things are so bad that it feels like God himself has abandoned you. What song will you sing then? What song will you sing when the darkness will not lift 
and it feels like God is a million miles away. Well, God in his mercy has given his children a song to sing in times such as these. And if you look at the first two words in the title of Psalm 88, you'll see that it's called a song. But I've got to warn you, it's not like any song that you've ever heard. Commentators are agreed that Psalm 88 is the saddest psalm in the Bible. One person called it the basement of the psalms. In other words, you don't get any lower than Psalm 88. The psalmist is so brutally honest about his deep, dark depression that it may make you feel uncomfortable. In a society that is obsessed with health, wealth, and happiness, a song like Psalm 88 has no place. But since it does have a place in the Bible, then God seems to think that we need this psalm. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and if you were honest, you just feel crushed by the heaviness of life. And while God doesn't seem all that interested, you need Psalm 88. But maybe you're here this morning, and although life isn't perfect, things aren't too bad. Well, you need Psalm 88 too, and that's for a couple of reasons. Firstly, there are most likely people in this room today who are severely discouraged and disheartened, depressed even. Psalm 88 will help you to pray for, sympathize with, and show compassion to your suffering brothers and sisters. But secondly, if there's one thing guaranteed in this life, it's suffering. You and I will suffer. How severely only God knows. And when suffering comes, singing, I will survive by glory again, it will not be enough. You need a song like Psalm 88. So having said all that, although we've just read it, I'd actually like to read Psalm 88 again, because my assumption is that it's a psalm that most of us are not familiar with. Maybe until this morning you didn't even realize it was in your Bible. And so what I'd like to do is just read it once again, because I think it's a psalm that we can't become familiar enough with. So let's look at verse 1 again. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off. From your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. 
O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. What I'd like to do this morning is explore this song under three headings. And each heading tells us what type of song Psalm 88 is. So firstly, Psalm 88 is a song for sad souls. A song for sad souls. So if you look in verse 1 there, the psalmist says, I cry out day and night. Now this is not a, a mere whimper. This is wailing, sobbing, howling from the gut. This is the helpless cry of a distraught child to their parents. I just peek down at verse 9 where he says, My eye grows dim through sorrow. The psalmist has shed so many tears that his eyes have grown dim. Life has become dark and gloomy. But why is he so distraught? Look at verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles. At the center of his being, he is in anguish. However, he isn't simply dealing with one hardship, but many hardships are, are piling up one after the other to the point where his soul is being crushed under the weight. He can't take anymore. The psalmist is experiencing the stubborn darkness of depression. And if you've ever felt depressed before, you'll know what this is like. So just listen to the way he describes how he feels in the psalm. So firstly... He feels like death. Look at verse 3. And my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Verse 5. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. If you're wondering what that word Sheol means, it was used in ancient times to refer, well, in a few different ways. So sometimes it meant simply the grave. Or other times it referred to the place where the dead go to await judgment. And it's difficult to know in what sense the psalm uses it here. The psalmist uses it here. However, what, what's clear is that his life feels like a living death. Secondly, he feels exhausted. Look at verse 4. I am a man who has no strength. The sleepless nights, the constant anxiety, the crushing weight of life's troubles on his soul have left him utterly exhausted. Sorrow combined with exhaustion is a rare torture, and the psalmist knew it well. Thirdly, he feels trapped. Look at the end of verse 9. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Fourthly, he feels alone. Look at the end of verse 5. He feels like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. This is the worst part of his troubles. He feels like God himself has abandoned him. Just glance down quickly to verse 14. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Some of you have been in this place, haven't you? 
Maybe you're in this place right now. Your soul is full of troubles and day and night you cry out to God and all you want is to feel God's presence. All you want is to feel his comfort. But God is silent. He feels far away. It feels like he's cut you off. And like the psalmist, you cry out, why won't you answer me, God? Why are you silent? Why won't you help? Why do you seem so far away? Why don't you care for me? It's so terrible to have your prayers return empty when your soul is so full of grief. You know, if that's you this morning, then can I just encourage you to take some comfort from the fact that you're not alone. You know, the temptation when we feel this way is to think that we're the only ones who feel like this, isn't it? To think that you're either crazy or that God has in fact forsaken you. However, take comfort from the fact that Psalm 88 is in your Bible. That God in his infinite kindness has given you language and metaphors for your pain. That he's given you an example of someone who knows what it feels like to feel that God has forsaken him. And the reality is that you're not the only person in the room that's ever felt like this. I'm glad that Ed shared that before, but the reality is that you're probably not the only one that feels like that today. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, the psalmist's friends appear to have rejected him too. So look at verse 8. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. This complaint pops up again in verse 18. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. He feels so alone, so isolated, that darkness is his only friend. Isn't that heartbreaking? Now, we don't have enough information to know why the psalmist feels shunned by his friends, but there are a few possibilities. So, Some think that he could have had a skin disease like leprosy. And this would have caused others to avoid him in case they caught it too or became ceremonially unclean. Others think that his friends shunned him because of his depression. So kind of like Job's friends who, they were compassionate for a while, weren't they? But when his depression didn't lift, they turned on him. And this is actually very common when people experience depression Because unfortunately, the church has often had a very simplistic view when it comes to depression. And so when someone feels like Psalm 88, people say things like, oh, you just need to trust God. Oh, you just need to cheer up. Oh, you just need to read your Bible and pray more. Oh, I know what you need. You just need to stop sinning. Uh, You just need to get outside more. In other words, the reason you're depressed is because you're doing something wrong, but don't worry, here's a quick fix to make it better. You know, all too often, that's how we in the church have responded to people who feel like Psalm 88. We've not had a category for a godly person who's suffering like the psalmist. And that means when the, the depression doesn't lift, people conclude, well, that, that person's their own worst enemy. And they shun them and and shame them. And and they end up pushing them even further into the depths of the pit. Now maybe you're here this morning and and you feel 
like Psalm 88. And maybe you felt shunned and shamed by God's people. And if that's you, then I just want to apologize to you this morning on behalf of the body of Christ. That we're actually sorry that we sometimes fail to love people who suffer so greatly. So would you please forgive us? Now, there's another reason why the psalmist might feel shunned by his friends. You see, depression, it has a way of isolating us, doesn't it? So it makes us not want to get out of bed in the morning. It makes us close in on ourselves. It makes us want to push people away. And this is down to many things, but it's partly because, well, we're we're afraid. We're afraid how people will treat us. We're afraid that they will shun us or shame us or, or think that we're crazy if we really told them how we feel. When we turn up to church and everybody's lifting their hands and, and seems really joyful, we're afraid that we would stick out like a sore thumb if we really told people how much we wanted to die. If they really knew how many tears that we shed each night, if they really knew how heavy and thick this black fog is that follows us everywhere we go, you know, the last thing that we need is more shame and guilt piled on. The last thing we need is more rejection. And so we isolate ourselves. You know, if that's you this morning, then can I just say thank you for coming? Thanks for getting out of bed when you probably didn't want to. Thanks for sitting in a room full of people uh, when you probably feel very vulnerable. Thanks for listening to God's word when it's probably really painful. But can I just urge you to do something? If you are suffering alone, then please take a risk and speak to someone. Speak to a trustworthy friend. And if you're not sure that you have one, then come and speak to one of your church leaders after the service. Come and speak to Ed. Somebody that can sympathize with you, knows how you feel. You know, if you feel like the psalmist this morning, don't isolate yourself. Depression does its worst work when we try to fight it alone. Or as one writer said, we sometimes double our sorrows by nursing them in secret. So that's the fourth thing the psalmist feels. He feels alone. He feels abandoned by God and he feels abandoned by people. Fifthly, he feels condemned. Look at verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. This idea is found again in verses 16 and 17. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. I remember my first trip to Delaware. I remember stepping onto the beach and and feeling the sand between my toes. I could smell that fresh, salty air and I could hear the, the seagulls flying above me. And best of all, I could see the waves crashing into the shore. And when I saw those waves, I I felt the ocean calling me. Because there aren't many things in life that I love more than getting taken out by a wave that's bigger than me. And a wave doesn't have to get very big before it's bigger than me. So I, I was excited. So when I saw those waves, I just ran and jumped into the ocean. And every now and then, a wave hits me, and it, and it throws me backwards, and it, it was just so awesome. I was having a great time. But then all of a sudden, I remember being hit by a succession of waves. 
one after the other, bam, bam, bam. And I was literally slammed chest first onto the ground. And my body was dragged down and it felt like the weight of the ocean was holding me down. And for a split second, I thought, oh no, I'm going to die. In Delaware, it was terrible. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> now, now, there's something about being hit with a succession of waves that can put even the strongest swimmer in danger. Now, listen to how the psalmist describes the situation. It feels like God's wrath is assaulting him. Wave after wave, bam, 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 surrounding him like a flood all day long. There's no relief. There's no calm in the sea. He feels like he's about to drown. Now, I think it's important to remember something here. The psalmist is expressing how he feels. And as we know, how we feel doesn't necessarily correspond with reality. We know that, don't we? So he feels as if God's punishing him. However, there's no indication in this psalm that he's in any unrepentant sin. And this teaches us that when our soul is full of troubles, it can feel as though God is against us. So we can think, I'm suffering because of my sin. I'm suffering because God hates me. I feel like this because God is my enemy. I'm experiencing this darkness because God is against me. Even when we're trying our best to trust in God. I wonder if you've ever done that. And if you have, we need to be careful because, actually, that sounds a lot like the bad counsel of Job's friends, doesn't it? And thinking that way actually just leads to more guilt and shame. It just pushes us further down the path of darkness. I think it's helpful to remember that some of the most godly people in history have also been those who've suffered the most, sometimes very mysteriously. Think of Joseph, Job, Jeremiah, the apostles. Think of outside the Bible, John Calvin, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon. So if you are suffering as a Christian, actually you're in very good company. Sixthly, the psalmist feels confused. Just look at the amount of questions he asks in the psalm. So he asks six of them in verses 10 to 12. And in these questions, he's basically asking, if I die like this, how would that glorify you? If my despair never ceases, how will that evidence your faithful love? If this darkness never lifts, what good will that accomplish, God? And, and he asks more questions in verse 14. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? You know, whenever we suffer, it's just so natural to ask the question, why, isn't it? In fact, sometimes the first response that we have to suffering, almost instinctively, is to ask, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why them? Why him? Why her? You see, it's not just the pain, but it's the apparent meaningless of the pain which is so hard to take. It just seems so purposeless. The couple that suffers the loss of multiple children... The person who wants to be a missionary but is bedridden at home with a mysterious illness. The woman who feels like she has so much to give but is crippled by a depression and anxiety. The unanswered prayer for so many good things. What's the point? 
How is this accomplishing anything? How can this be a part of God's good plan? If pain has no point, then why keep going? Why persevere? You know, maybe you're suffering immensely this morning and you've said to God, God, I could handle this suffering if you would just tell me why. If you would just give me a glimpse of, of, of the light at the end of the tunnel. Can you see why Psalm 88 is a song written for you to sing? You already know the lyrics, even if you've never read this psalm before. Because the lyrics of this psalm come from the heart of all God's children who've suffered. But it's worth mentioning that the psalmist, he never seems to get an answer to his why question, does he? But the fact that you and I are singing this song 3,000 years later proves that his suffering wasn't meaningless. That God is using his suffering in our life this morning. And so his suffering wasn't meaningless, and neither is yours, even if you can't see how God is going to use it. So the psalmist feels confused. Lastly, he feels helpless. Look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. One of the reasons he feels so helpless is because his suffering has lasted for such a long time. From his youth up, he says, he'd do anything to get out of it. But he's helpless. You know, there's a temptation when people are suffering to look for a quick solution. But Psalm 88 doesn't give us, give us one. Sometimes God's children suffer from cradle to grave. And the fact that the last word of Psalm 88 is darkness should warn us against looking for quick fixes. So Psalm 88 is a song for sad souls. It's a song to sing when our souls are full to the brim with troubles, when it feels like our, our faith might not make it to the end. And I wonder, are you a church that allows people to feel like Psalm 88? If someone confessed to feeling like this, how would you respond? Would you shun them? Would you shame them? Would you try to offer them a quick fix and lose patience when things don't get better? God wants us to have a category for a godly Christian who suffers from a deep, dark, mysterious depression. And Psalm 88 shows us that it's not sub-Christian to feel depressed and far away from God. So this brings us on to our second heading this morning. A song for persevering in prayer. A song for persevering in prayer. Now, you may have noticed this as we read the psalm earlier, but three times the psalmist mentions his persistent prayer. So it's there in verses 1 and 2, there in verse 9, and it's there in verse 13. In fact, the whole psalm itself is a prayer to God. So despite the way he felt, he cried out to God day and night, verse 1. Now, this is really interesting, and it's interesting for a couple of reasons. So firstly, it's remarkable that he turns to God at all in the midst of such horrific suffering. 
So the temptation when we suffer is to close in on ourselves, isn't it? To become so overwhelmed with stress and sorrow that God is not even in the picture anymore. But it's remarkable that even though his life is a living nightmare, God is still a character in his story. You know, sometimes we have these really unrealistic expectations of the Christian life. We have these ideas of what a normal, well-put-together Christian looks like. But you may find that one day life becomes so difficult that you can't even get out of bed. That you can't even make it to church. But you know what? If you turn to God in that moment, well, that's remarkable. If in that moment when you can't lift your head off the pillow, you turn to God and you just say, help. That's remarkable. Now, maybe you don't turn to God when the dark clouds roll in. But this song is inviting you to do that. It's inviting you to know that you can turn to God even when life is getting darker and darker and darker. And if you turn to God in those times, well, that's remarkable, God-glorifying faith. And believe me, it won't feel like that to you. When you can't get out of bed and all you can say is help, that won't feel like remarkable faith at the time. It won't feel like strong faith, but oh my, God, oh my goodness, it really is. But there's a second reason the psalmist's faith is remarkable. Here's a question. Who does the psalmist think his suffering is coming from? Well, it's God. Verse 6, you have put me. Verse 7, you overwhelm me. Verse 8, you have caused, you have made. We actually don't know why the psalmist is suffering. We don't know all the all the exact circumstances that he finds himself in. And I think that's purposeful. But what we do know is that the psalmist knows that God is in control of everything, including his own suffering. Therefore, ultimately, his suffering has been granted to him by God. God could have stopped it, but he didn't. God could have pulled him out of the darkness, but he didn't. Yet the psalmist turns to the very God he believes has put him in that darkness. I mean, why doesn't he just shake his fists at God? Why doesn't he just cuss him out and accuse him of evil? What would you do? Why does he persevere in prayer? I don't know if you noticed this, but the psalmist never doubts the character of God, does he? In verse 11, he appeals to God's steadfast love and faithfulness. In verse 12, he recognizes that God is righteous and perfectly just. He can't understand why God has allowed this suffering, yet he trusts him anyway. He trusts that God in his loving, righteous, faithful wisdom has sufficient reasons. It's the character of God, not his circumstances, that brings him hope. I'll say that again. It's the character of God, not his circumstances, that brings him hope. In fact, the opening lyrics to the song are absolutely key. Look at verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation. 
This is really what keeps the psalmist clinging on with the little strength that he has left. This is where the, the one thread of hope can be found. God is the God of his salvation. He is the only one that can save his soul. He's the only one that can pull him out of the darkness. Even though he can't see an end to his suffering, he has faith that there is an end. His suffering may continue for now, but it won't continue forever. God will save him. God will bring light and relief and glory. God will bring those things because he is the God of his salvation. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder what you do with the problem of suffering. I wonder what you do when your soul is full of troubles. When the darkness will not lift in your own life. Because if there is no God, you know, if we're simply here by chance, then suffering is it's just random. There's no ultimate purpose to it. That means that it doesn't really matter if we suffer. It's neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. It's just how it is. But that's not a satisfying thought, is it? Because when our souls are full of trouble, it feels unnatural, it feels wrong. And that's because it is wrong. We weren't meant to suffer like this. Suffering is a wake-up call. It's meant to alert us to the fact that this world isn't meant to be like this. We're not meant to feel like this. As C.S. Lewis once said, pain insists upon, a, upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In other words, C.S. Lewis says, suffering should wake you up to your need for a savior. Someone to save you from the suffering of a sin-sick world. Because like the psalmist, you need saving. Not just from the darkness out there, but also the darkness in here, in your own heart. But you can have hope today. You can have hope that there is a God who offers salvation to all who turn to him in faith. A God who offers eternal hope in our suffering. But the question still remains, how do we know? How do we know that God is who he says he is in Psalm 88? How do we know that God is worth turning to in our suffering, even when the suffering persists? How do we know that he cares about us when he feels so far away? How do we know that God will, in fact, save us from the darkness? Well, this brings us on to our third and final point. Psalm 88 is a song for a sympathetic saviour. A song for a sympathetic saviour. You know, one thing that is clear as we read Psalm 88 is that the psalmist knew what it feels like to be in the regions dark and deep. But as we keep reading in the Bible, we find that there was another person who knew what it was like to be even lower. Because there was someone who came after the psalmist whom the Bible says was despised and rejected by men. A man 
of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Think about that for a second. He was so acquainted with grief, so familiar with suffering, so aware of the agonies of the soul that the Bible calls him a man of sorrows. Sorrow characterized his life. And we read about this individual in Mark chapter 14. Listen and pay close attention to these words. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. His soul was so full of trouble that Luke tells us, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood fallen to the ground. His soul was so full of troubles that he literally sweat great drops of blood. Who is this man of sorrows? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what it feels like to be so sorrowful that he might die. He knows what it's like to have his own friends abandon him in his hour of greatest need. He knows what it feels like to feel alone. He knows what, it's like, what it feels like to pray for his suffering to pass, but have that prayer return empty. Jesus is the true singer of Psalm 88. But here's the difference. The psalmist felt like he was under God's wrath, but he wasn't. But Jesus felt like he was under God's wrath because he was. Because let's not forget, the psalmist, like you and me, he was a sinner. And the Bible tells us that sin deserves punishment. So you and I deserve God's wrath. But Jesus was innocent. He was sinless. The reward for Jesus' obedience should have been joy and life, but he received affliction and death. He deserved to be crowned with glory and seated on a throne, but he was stripped and beaten and nailed to a cross. If anyone deserved God's loving presence, it was Jesus. But on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that you and I never would. You know, if you're a Christian this morning and you feel like God has abandoned you, then can I ask you to look to Jesus? Because Jesus was cut off from his Father so that you never would be. If you feel like God is punishing you, then look to Jesus because Jesus was punished in your place for your sin so that you never would be. You know, it's interesting that for those who are suffering deeply, the Bible doesn't offer us a simple solution, but instead gives us a sympathetic savior. It's an unspeakable consolation that our Lord Jesus knows what it feels like to sing Psalm 88. He knows what it's like to experience the darkness even more than we do. So if you're here this morning and you wonder, you wonder whether you'll make it. If you wonder whether your faith will fail, if you wonder whether you'll make it to the end, then you can know that you have a sympathetic and compassionate Jesus to rest in. <laughs> he knows how you feel. So cry out to him. 
day and night, even when the darkness doesn't lift. But Jesus didn't just come to sympathize with us. That's good news. But we need some better news. And praise God, Jesus came not just to sympathize with us, but to save us. So if you've got a Bible, can I just encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Now, many of you are familiar with this story, particularly if you grew up in church. In John chapter 11, there's this famous account where Jesus is told that a man named Lazarus is ill. However, just notice Jesus' reaction in John 11 verse 4. When Jesus had heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you see what Jesus says here? He says, this man's suffering has a purpose. Death is not the end, glory is. Now, remember this because it's just so important. Suffering is not the end, glory is. So, Jesus delays coming to see Lazarus. And by the time he arrives, it's too late. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so when Mary, Lazarus's sister, sees that Jesus has finally arrived, she runs up to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she says to him in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my mother, would, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the why question in this statement? Why did you delay Jesus? Why did you remain so far off? Why did you allow this to happen? We, I, I came to you, I cried to you, I asked you, I asked you to come. Why did you delay? You know, Lazarus's death seems so needless. Her sorrow seems so pointless. And so Mary has her own Psalm 88 moment. And do you know what Jesus does? He doesn't shun her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't condemn her. Instead, Jesus sees her pain. He sees her fear. He sees her confusion. He sees the darkness. And verse 35 tells us that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And in the original language that the Bible was written in, this term is really interesting because the term was actually used for horses that were snorting with rage. Jesus is angry at the pain and suffering and death that he sees. So much so that when he sees where Lazarus is buried, verse 35 tells us Jesus wept. Now don't forget what we've read earlier. Jesus knows this story is going to end well. He knows that death isn't the end. Glory is. He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. But that doesn't stop him from sobbing with compassion now. You know, if you're a Christian, God knows that your story is going to end well. That in in light of eternity, this is a light momentary affliction. But if you think that God is indifferent to your pain now, 
then you need to see the tears streaming down the face of the man of sorrows. To hear him sobbing with compassion for those that he loves. You need to visualize him snorting with rage over the suffering his people experience. And to know that Jesus sympathizes with you in your suffering. Right now. But remember, suffering is not the end. Glorious. So Jesus doesn't simply cry for Lazarus, but what does he do next? He raises him from the grave. Jesus uses the suffering in John 11 for the glory of God. He uses the sorrow of death to reveal the resurrection power of himself. And this becomes a picture of what Jesus himself was going to do because Jesus himself was going to die. He was going to allow sinful men to hang him on a cross and that he would die under the wrath of God. Yet Jesus' suffering was not the end, was it? Glory was. And he was raised from the dead. Death, then life. Darkness, then light. Suffering, then glory. And friends, that's the pattern of the Christian life. Death now, resurrection later. Suffering now, glory later. And so if you're a Christian, that should give you hope this morning. Your suffering may be mysterious, but it isn't purposeless. Your suffering may be ongoing, but it isn't forever. Jesus came so that one day your suffering will be replaced with glory. He came so that one day the darkness will be no more. And it will be replaced with light. Jesus died so that one day the agonies of this life will one day pass. And God himself. Think about this. God himself. The one who sometimes feels so far away. God himself will wipe every tear from your eyes. Isn't that astounding? That's why you can and should sing Psalm 88. Because in Christ you have a sympathetic saviour who will not let your suffering have the last word. He will not let the darkness win. He will not let death be the last chapter. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never, ever let you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given your church a song to sing in dark times. We confess that we sometimes struggle to turn to you when life is hard. We easily doubt your goodness and power. Forgive us. We pray for those in our midst who are living Psalm 88 right now. For those who are overwhelmed with troubles. For those who don't know whether they'll make it. For those who wonder whether you've let them go. Help them to see that they have a sympathetic saviour in Jesus. That in Jesus they have hope for their suffering. That their suffering will not have the last word. That darkness will not be the last word in their story. But help them to know that in Christ they have a glorious future. Where you yourself will wipe every tear from their eyes. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our sympathetic saviour. Amen.